You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. What is going on, Belly Up Sports fam? Mr. Shaka Cummings, Mr. Parker Ainsworth, welcome to F in Sports, the podcast with two teachers' great sports, biggest issues. Parker, I just got a haircut today. Happy Juneteenth, everyone. We're actually recording on a Friday instead of a Sunday. I got a haircut. I'm doing great. How are you doing, sir? I am desperately in need of a haircut. Um, <laughs> but with my beard feeling nice and healthy these days after the last couple weeks of treatments and stuff like that, with our beard oils and stuff like that, it's been good. So uh, Texas numbers on the rise, and so we're staying inside. <laughs> I just got my haircut because I am about to head on vacation. We're going to go to a beach, and so hopefully we'll get our mind off of all kinds of stuff that's going on in the world, hang out at a beach for a little bit. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth, you want to hit us with a gold star? For sure. Well, I, I probably am going to set a record in how many times I can gold star one person. Um, <laughs> and what's funny is if you go through my like Twitter feed all the way back to 2017, I was really opposed to this person when he won the MVP award, but I'm going to give another gold star to Russell Westbrook. Um, and not just because he's a Houston Rocket, but he's obviously been doing a lot for Tulsa and Oklahoma and black history. And he is spending his Friday, uh, Juneteenth, uh, doing a virtual block party. They're intentionally opposing it to a otherwise politically charged weekend, but trying to give some people uh, a reason to celebrate and ways to celebrate, uh, even if they're being socially distant this, this uh, holiday season of sorts. Absolutely. My gold star goes to the Southeastern Conference, the SEC, who reached out to Ole Miss and Mississippi State and essentially said, you guys need to make sure that the state flag of Mississippi gets changed because as long as there's a Confederate flag flying for the state flag of Mississippi, then we're not going to do any major SEC events in the state. So no championship games, no basketball stuff. Like We're just not going to do our major stuff in Mississippi. Now, I know that Ole Miss and Mississippi State have actually partnered to talk to the government about getting the state flag changed because the Confederate flag is a part of it. And I know that Ole Miss has been on a kick for a long time about fans flying Confederate flags at their games because you'll have recruits that come in and it's black guys who are coming in who are ready to play football and ready to play basketball and they see all these Confederate flags in the stands and it's like, uh, nope, <laughs> we're going to look at someplace else to go to school. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth, I believe you have another gold star. Yeah, so anyone we've talked about in the pod before, if you go back to previous episodes about me and my uh, connections to the University of Texas, 
I think the quote was, if it wasn't for that school, I would not exist. Um, <laughs> but I want to shout out uh, really a collection of Texas players led by Brendan Eagles, or I assume they're led by Brendan Eagles because he was the strongest vocal person on Twitter. But University of Texas football players came out with a list of actions uh, demanding for some equity on campus. Some of these haven't been talked about a whole lot, like renaming of certain buildings, like Robert E. Lee Moore Hall. That probably needs to be renamed. Other other names maybe not be so obvious, like Painter Hall or Littlefield Hall, or James Hogg Auditorium is named after a governor from the state of Texas that has made some questionable decisions if you go back to the 1800s, right? And so like, the guys that you may not think about, they've asked for uh, some outreach programs to inner cities in Texas, like the inner city of the Austin, Dallas, Houston, and San Antonio areas. They want to replace some of the statues and things they're doing with a more diverse set of people from Texas history, which is a great idea because it's not like they want to completely reshape the way campus looks. They just want the people that the statues are of to be different. The part that is getting the most headlines has been that they would like to change and replace the Eyes of Texas song. And um, for those that don't know, after every single Texas sporting event, win, lose, tie, or draw, the athletes go to the student section and everyone holds up their hook and horns and sing, sings a song called The Eyes of Texas, The Eyes of Texas Are Upon You, All the Live Long Day, da 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 And there's actually a weird, like, rapture reference at the end with Till Gabriel Blows His Horn. Um, but <laughs> I will say that's not the issue. The issue is more about The Eyes of Texas stems from, apparently, you know, after he the, the Civil War was over, Confederate leader Robbie Lee would tell his students, he was a professor after the fact, he would tell his students at Washington College at the time that the eyes of the South are upon them to close his lecture. Um, well, the play on that was supposed to be poking fun at Washington College and Robert E. Lee, which is like, eh, that's so bad. But then you realize that at the turn of the century, in the early 1900s, that was a commonly sang, at, a commonly sang song at minstrel shows that would happen on campus. That makes the story and the song a whole lot different feeling. I gotta say, as a guy that watches a lot of Texas football, they can stand some new traditions, including like winning more games. And so, like, I think, <laughs> I think that I think that this entire like rebrand would be great because we hope we win a lot more games in the next ten years than we have in the last ten years. And like starting that with new traditions and pushing things forward in a new way would certainly be the right way to go about it. I'm gonna go ahead and pick up with our detentions for the week. Uh, I'm gonna start with. The New York Jets. The New York Jets are in detention <laughs> because Jamal Adams, who is clearly the best player on the New York Jets, has demanded a trade. And friends, if you listen to this podcast, when we did our wrap-up of drafts, I was not one who was a fan of the Jets draft, in part because of their first pick in the third round, Ashton Davis, who's a safety out of Cal, and what I said was, that draft pick signals to me that they're trying to get rid of Jamal Adams. They're not going to pay him, and they're going to try to trade him. Jamal Adams has been trying to get paid, and I don't blame him. Like, folks are talking about his contract because he's a rookie and, like, he should wait. And it's like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Global pandemic, we don't know what the salary cap's going to be down the road. And I'm one of the best safeties in the NFL now. Pay me now. We know how football works because they'll cut you tomorrow. And so now Jamal Adams wants to get his money. Joe Douglas doesn't want to pay him as the GM of the Jets. So Joe Douglas drafts Ashton Davis, and now Jamal Adams is ready to get traded. I knew this was going to happen. Jets fan here knows how these things work. Knew this was going to happen. We're going to lose our best defensive player. He's probably going to end up playing for one of your teams, Parker. And then I got to be <laughs> mad even more when Jamal Adams is, like, picking the ball off for the Cowboys or for the Texans. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe that it's come to this. Just pay the man. I don't know what the Jets are doing. I, the man who drafted him no longer works there. The coach who was his first coach no longer works there. So now what you have is a coach who probably doesn't value him as much as he should, as well as a GM who doesn't understand how great this guy is. It's it's ridiculous. What detentions do you have, Mr. <laughs> Ainsworth? Um, I see that, you know, how many detentions can you give New York? So you're trying to move away pretty quickly. <laughs> um, I, if I'm looking at detentions from this week, um, there's several reasons to do it, and so it, it seems too easy. But I'm going to detention uh, Oklahoma State head football coach Mike Gundy for a multitude of reasons. You know, he got a lot of flack to start because he was photographed in an OAN News Network shirt. 
Um, OAN operates in a very conspiracy theory level of media um, without a whole lot of factual basis behind them. And, uh, you know, and there were a lot of people that, you know, plugged, well, would it be different if he was wearing a CNN? And I was like, it'd be different if he was wearing a Fox News Network t-shirt. The issue is not right or left. The issue is how far uh, out, out of the outside periphery of facts they operated in, under. Um, tweets had been pulled up from earlier in the pandemic when everything felt kind of like crazy and whatnot about how he kind of valued the OAN network uh, as a fact-based news cycle when they were very clearly operating conspiracy <laughs> theories like coronavirus was founded and built in a lab in North Carolina. Like, not even <laughs> not even in the right continent as far as our first discoveries of it. But anyway, that's where he was going with it. Uh, and where that was a couple weeks back. He also, in the uncovering of this, you know, players started tweeting out Chubba Hubbard was the most famous, right, because he is, uh, you know, in the periphery of the Heisman discussion for next year, if you're looking at preseason stuff. He, um, Chubba Hubbard's most famous. He comes out and says that they're not going to work out or do anything until this is addressed. Uh, they do a very phony press conference that day where Hubbard apologizes and Gundy does not. That clearly gets back to the university as that was not a great look. So then the next day, Gundy apologizes. Meanwhile, all the apologies surrounding the shirt and the like interaction on Twitter about the shirt, all the other things on Twitter were talking about how guys were getting told that if they didn't perform to a certain standard, they're going to get sent back to South, South Dallas and like stuff like that. And it's like, those are way, way more egregious things than wearing some stupid t-shirt that he was probably given by the network. Like, like honestly, that, that that's... That's not the root cause of a lot of the issue with Mike Gundy. He also very recently has been called out for some, let's say, language choices from when he was a player many, many years ago. Um, he apparently may have been using uh, racial slurs and things like that as a player and talking to opposing teams. Gundy has had a rough, rough go of it here. And I'm not saying he deserves, you know, grace. He needs time and attention to sit there and think about how he's going to move forward and if he can really head coach a football team with a let's say diverse set of players can, you know, can you really be in charge of these young men? Um, so sit in detention and think about it, Mike Gundy. No, absolutely. You know, he probably just needs someone to come after him. I mean, he's a man, he's over 40, whatever. Um, <laughs> right. Mike Gundy's before the last two months was known for three things. One, his mullet haircut, two, being a man over 40 and three, running a very mediocre Oklahoma State football program. Like, like he's not, <laughs> he doesn't have to sit on this pedestal. I don't know why he is. We are going to jump into some thesis statements with Father's Day around the corner. We're going to do a fun thesis around best father-son duos, but we're going to start with a thesis about Kyrie Irving and the NBA Bubble City, and then jump into a what if. What if the New England Patriots signed Colin Kaepernick? That'll be interesting. We'll have those conversations coming up. Mr. Ainsworth, without further ado, are you ready to go, sir? Ready when you are, Shaka. Okay, Mr. Ainsworth, our first thesis statement for the week. Kyrie Irving is right in that players should reconsider the NBA restart plan. I throw that thesis statement at you, Mr. Ainsworth. How are you going to grade it? I initially want to give it an F because I know both the messenger and the way it was delivered and this thing. Either. I may settle at more of a D, so I'll give it a D. I'm going to go with a C, and I honestly think that we're going to agree on a lot of points. Uh, and it's the wording of the thesis. The wording of the thesis makes me want to go ahead and give it a C. Okay, Mr. Ainsworth, we almost had back-to-back -back weeks where you failed a thesis statement. We were this close. <laughs> but uh, you went with a D for the thesis statement that Kyrie Irving is right in that players should reconsider the NBA restart plan. Now, D's not great, but it's not an F. So talk to me a little bit about <laughs> what you're thinking. So I think it more comes with when I break down Kyrie's reasoning and things like that. Because I want to open up with the reason I didn't flunk it is if with you know COVID numbers rising, especially in Florida where they're anticipating playing, it, you know that I know Disney is its own bubble of sorts and they will be super protected and this that, and the other and they'll have the utmost everything and i don't know if you saw the latest about these rings that players will wear where they're well, gonna they, have, they like, don't have to wear them it's voluntary voluntary but they're a, it's a 300 ring you can wear that will tell you a couple of days ahead of time 
if it's sensing that you might have COVID symptoms, which is fascinating, by the way. Um, and the joke I saw on that was Gerald Green, who I don't know if you know this, but Gerald Green, Houston Rocket, uh, is actually missing his ring finger on his right hand. Um, long story there, but he was like, "Guess I can't wear this." <laughs> no, um, as and, long as Skynet's not making the ring, hopefully it'll be okay. <laughs> that is surveillance. Uh, That's Big Brother, like to right. the F degree. Um, but if if that were where if COVID were where Kyrie was coming from. I, I could see the issue there because, you know, the NBA is not an essential business. We we function here like you and I clearly are very passionate about sports, and it is a big for, form of revenue for a lot of different avenues in the country. It's not just the players and the companies. Like, if you think of all 30 teams as companies, it's also every sports bar, and it's also every media outlet, and it's also, like, there's every radio show, and it's, it, it's a bigger entity as you start – you know, billowing it outwards um, as far as how much money circulates in the NBA world. So if that were where he was coming from, is it's COVID, this isn't essential, we don't need to put our health on the line, I get that. Where it seems like it's coming from, though, is um, <laughs> is not that place. Um, he, he made an argument on a large Zoom call that kind of contradicted himself, uh, his own words 10, 10 days earlier, talking to NBA players as a player union rep, which how on earth did he get to be a player union rep? But um, we'll talk about that. Just, <laughs> <laughs> um, but he basically said, you know, it could help. It could distract from the work being done with the, you know, social activism in the country to which I want to call, you know, some baloney on like the players, <laughs> the NBA has some of the most socially active players in the world. They were literal, Dozens isn't the right word, but lots of lots and lots and lots of players involved in protests in cities across the country. There are videos of it all over the internet. But most of those videos are things like Instagram live feeds and things like posts on social media and things like you know things like the, of that nature. The NBA restarting then puts all of those same socially active players on everyone's living room television. If I'm being honest, I think. He's not playing, and so there's a real chance that he's not going to go to Orlando because why would you have guys that aren't he, playing he, in Orlando? He can't even go to Orlando. Like That's right. as much a part of this as anything is that you hear Matt Barnes and Kendrick Perkins talk about the conversations have started only, like you said, 10 days ago Kyrie said one thing. Now he's coming back, he's saying something different, and Matt Barnes and Kendrick Perkins, who have that insider perspective as former players, are coming out and saying, Kyrie asked the NBA if as an injured player he could could he go to Orlando to support his guys. The NBA said no because you're not essential to be here in Orlando as someone who's injured and can't participate. And now all of a sudden, Kyrie, who's vice president of the players association as a players representative, he, now he turns around and he's singing a different tune because he can't go to Orlando. And now because he can't go to Orlando, oh players we need to really consider whether or not we all need to go to orlando what now like if this is honestly where his perspective is coming from this only reaffirms the thing that i've been saying for years which is people need to stop giving kyrie irving leadership positions because he's done nothing to prove that he's good in a leadership spot we can go back and we can look at his record with the Cleveland Cavaliers pre-LeBron where his team consistently finished outside of the playoffs and in the tops of the lottery in order to get the top draft pick. And we associate Kyrie with being uh, a solid player in the clutch, but that's only because LeBron comes there and leads the team. And let's not forget that in LeBron's last year in Cleveland, the team wins 50 games and goes to the NBA Finals. And Kyrie Irving is in Boston. So Kyrie Irving is not on that team. It's not like LeBron. It's obvious who's the leader of Cleveland needed to be for Cleveland to do anything. And then we can jump to Boston where he's the one telling us that he's the leader of the team, by the way. Now, I don't know that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Gordon Hayward and Al Horford was there at the time. Like, I don't know if they agreed. This is who Kyrie Irving is as a leader. And 
Now he's in this position of leadership where he's talking about, hey, players, we need to reconsider. Like, is he thinking about the $345 million that players would forfeit if they didn't play in the restart in Orlando? And is he thinking about the good that players could do with that money toward whatever movements they wanted to put that money toward? Whether it is Black Lives Matter, whether it is more local uh, uh, charitable things that they do around different topics, whether it's kids in school uh, uh, sports, athletics within their communities. Like, if Kyrie Irving is genuinely coming at this from, hey, they wouldn't let me go to Orlando, so now I'm going to try to convince everyone to not go to Orlando, that's an issue. And the fact that the only ones who are backing him are guys like Kevin Durant and Dwight Howard, okay, he ain't got the best backup either because these aren't guys who I necessarily feel like are these great, wonderful folks with these great perspectives either. There, there's also a level of it that seems kind of – you know, insulting as an NBA fan, um, and I don't mean to speak on, you know, I can only come from the white perspective on this, but as an NBA fan, I can pay attention to what is happening in the social realm of the world and basketball. Like, people could have, people listened to Bill Russell and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and also watched them play basketball, right? People have taken note of all of the charitable things LeBron James has done in the last 10 years, Right. And also watched him play basketball. These guys, you know, it's especially in 2020, are as multifaceted as they've ever been. They have all these different sides to their pe- person, with the exception of a couple of boring lame ducks. They are very clearly more than just basketball players. That's just what they do for a living, and they're very good at it, right? Um, this is the time when you see all of those guys being involved in things. And to act like they can't do it because they'll be consumed playing basketball. It's just it just feels insulting. Like they've been doing this, Kyrie. I'm sorry that I'm sorry, I don't know if that maybe he doesn't feel like he was as involved bef- as he was before. And I mean, maybe he what didn't have the free time to go march or whatever in these different cities and things like that. But guess what? If you're not invited to Orlando, you can still go. Like, like what's, what's the, what's <laughs> you have the, all the time <laughs> in the world now, Mr. Irving. You can do whatever you need to do. Further, you know. If he really wanted to take a step back from basketball and dive into social activism, the model has been set, you know. Maya Moore's done that. Maya Moore sitting back from the WNBA to, to, you know, first pursue justice for, you know, very close to home for her, and then to continue to pursue justice for people wrongfully uh, charged with different things and things like that. Um, And we're talking about Kyrie and the NBA startups, so I'm not going to sit on her too much. But that would be akin to like if LeBron James took a step back in 2014 and said, I'm going to go make sure we get the guy, these cops in line, right? Like, and Kyrie's got way more money in his career than Maya Moore has. He could go do that. If, that, if that's really what you want to do, Kyrie, you can go do that. Um, I, I just, that doesn't seem to be where he's coming from here. It seems to be this unfortunate, oh, well, if I can't go, where are any of us going? And I, he won't just say that. Absolutely. He can't lose all of his legitimacy and say, hey, I can't go. So I don't want anyone to go. You know, it's it's weird in that part of the argument that Kyrie made is about, you know, players not being able to kind of manage being all in with basketball and still being a part of these movements. And you so hit the nail on the head. I'm I'm envisioning LeBron, Carmelo, Dwayne Wade, Chris Paul standing on stage at the ESPYs and talking about racial justice in this country, talking about I can't breathe and Eric Garner, talking about the inequities that exist. LeBron James started a school to try to even out some of the inequities within education in Akron. Like, of course you can do both. Of course you can truly be focused on being the best basketball player that you can be and still fight for racial equity and equality. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar did it. Like, we're talking back the 70s and 80s. So it should be easier to potentially do that now. You're making a lot more money than he was making back then, and you have lots of different vehicles to be able to communicate and get your own perspective and point of view out there. Like, Kyrie Irving is flat earth, crazy kind of thought process this is who he is and what i don't understand is why other players would allow him to have any sort of leadership position within the uh nba players association like 
I, I partially put the blame on players for allowing him to be in this leadership position because these are positions that you vote for. And what these players have to know is Kyrie Irving is not a dude who manages leadership well. And if other guys don't want to step up and fill that position, then shame on them because there are better players to be put in that position to be able to lead. And that includes players who have – uh, an elevated standing in the league. So I'm not even saying that it has to be a guy who isn't a star. It can be a star. Like, seriously, Damian Lillard, step up, okay? Like, you can do this because we well, can't or, have a guy like Kyrie in that position, man. And and Lillard is very sharp, and he's very smart. I don't mean to say he's not. But his backcourt teammate, C.J. McCollum, is, has a degree from Lehigh, like, CJ could do some real work, right? Like, um, I, I, I just tend to think of, again, like there are people more suited for this. What Kyrie's missing here is that the truth is, how, how powerful would it be in an NBA Finals post-game interview if, like, they ask a question to, we both picked the Lakers, so I'll say LeBron last week in the podcast, LeBron's on the podium. If whatever post-game question you're going to ask said, that's great. I'd like to talk about something going on in the world right now. And LeBron just spilled, right? Like, like that is all cameras, all eyes, all everything on him at the center focus of the entertainment world. It's the only sport happening because it doesn't look like baseball is going to happen because they can't agree on money. The NFL won't be back, and they won't be playing games on the same days. Kyrie is negating that opportunity because he won't be a part of it because he can't get his message across. But guess what, Kyrie? Like, if you're really about that life, you can still be about that life. Like you can still stay in Brooklyn and go. I mean, Brooklyn and New York has had a lot of protesting and activism and, and powerful things, and you know, marching the streets all over the massive city of New York. Like he can go and be involved in all of that because he ain't going to Orlando. It's okay. <laughs> okay, Parker. So the thesis statement for this commercial is: James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we we seem to have an affinity for our beers between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. Uh, what do what do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So uh, check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make bombs, they even have this heated comb thing to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it'll <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're a listener to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your balms, your uh, shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. Okay, Mr. Cummings, our second thesis of the week takes us to the NFL. The New England Patriots should sign quarterback Colin Kaepernick this offseason. What do you think of that thesis? I am going to give that a C. What do you think, Mr. Ainsworth? Uh, I'm going to give it a lot higher grade, but I wonder if we're going <laughs> to actually agree on some things. I'm going to think I'm thinking like an A minus. I think we're actually going to agree on more, but I'm going to give it an A minus. Okay, Mr. Cummings. So you gave the thesis a C, uh, which is passing. So the kid is eligible. Eligibility. <laughs> eligibility is key. Eligibility is key. Uh, but I got to ask, as someone who gave it a much higher grade, what made you give it a C? So for me, we did the discussion about Cam Newton several podcasts back. And so I thought back to that discussion and some of the reasons why it made sense for the Patriots to jump out and grab a guy like Cam Newton. And we ended up coming to the conclusion that, you know, our grades were a little bit different, but I, I kind of thought that New England wouldn't go for Cam. If New England's not going to go for Cam, I don't know why they're going to go for Colin Kaepernick. And before we even get to 
the political pieces that some folks think are controversial. Let's just talk about Colin Kaepernick, the football player. So Colin Kaepernick, his last season was 2016. And he had injuries in the previous two seasons, in 2015 and 2016. His completion percentage, his highest career completion percentage, is in 2012, where he completed only 62.4% of his passes. It's weird. The season that he led uh, San Francisco to the Super Bowl, his completion percentage was only 58.4%. So he's a career under 60% passer at 59.8. So I think about Cam, and I think about Colin Kaepernick and that completion percentage piece, and I said that New England would be hard-pressed to sign Cam because of that. So I don't see them signing Colin Kaepernick because of it. And I just get into what Bill Belichick, I believe, wants in a quarterback. And I'm not sure that he's one of these guys that's all in on this idea of the quarterback being a runner. Because if there's a guy who can design an offense where this works really well, it's going to be a guy like Bill Belichick. But Cam Newton, who has played more recently than Colin Kaepernick, if you're going to do that, pick this guy up. Right, and, th- and one of them is built like a Greek Adonis, and one of them is built like a an eighth grader who needs to eat a little bit more. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Kaepernick is not a small oh, that, guy by any stretch. But, I, thought, no, I thought Kaepernick but, looked like he was pretty, in pretty good shape when he worked I don't know. Ka- Kaepernick is a skinny guy. Like, he, and he's no, always he's, been but, a skinny I mean, guy. Like, no, that's not a knock. I'm just saying comparing him to Cam Newton is not fair. Well, I mean, <laughs> like, Cam, I mean, if you got two quarterbacks to sign, right, I could sign the Greek Adonis or I could sign Colin Kaepernick and – that's what I'm saying. So, like, if I was going to pick a runner, it feels like I'd pick the guy who's built like a defensive end, who runs like a deer, right, versus Colin Kaepernick. And so those are the football pieces well, that I kind of come to first. Well, and that's actually kind of why I was thinking of giving it an A- is, you know, Cam obviously is the other, you know, marquee name quarterback on the market still. Uh, it looks like he's not trying to take backup money right now, and so that – Maybe part of it, uh, depending on what report you're reading, and he also, I think, is going to wait and see if you know some marquee quarterback gets hurt. Maybe he may be a more presentable option come middle of the season or so. Um, and then if there's no football this year, maybe he just doesn't even play at all because no one plays. <laughs> but um, I think one thing that Kaepernick has over Cam is like if you think of like a, a pitcher and their pitch count on their arm for the over the course of time, um, Cam when he last played healthy, was actually putting up better numbers than his MVP season. But think about how little a time period that's been in the last two and a half seasons, right? Like, Cam has taken a lot of body blows, and there are articles written all over the place, and so I don't mean to cite any one or two people, but about how refs tend, because he's so big and strong, and there's other arguments in it as well, Cam takes a physical beating that Kaepernick hasn't actually for a few years, you know, for yeah. for Kaepernick demonstrated time and time again while the weapons around him decreased after the Super Bowl run um, when the lights went off. Remember, you remember that game? Like um, literally the lights went out and then they the stopped being out. good. <laughs> <laughs> um, when the talent went away later, his numbers also went down. He needs somewhat of a supporting cast. And you could argue that the Patriots do or don't have that. And I think you argued at one point that they didn't have that. And that's why Brady's numbers didn't look so great second half of the year or whatever. Correct. Um, I would argue that Belichick makes up for a lot of supporting casts. So that would, I think that's where on the football side of things, I was leaning for a higher grade. So getting to the point that you made about, you know, Bill Belichick making up for kind of a lack of depth in terms of the roster. I have New England's roster pulled up from NFL.com, and I'm just looking at their wide receivers. And so you tell me if this inspires in you confidence that a guy who hasn't played football in the last four years can just jump in and kind of, you know, play pretty well. So here's their roster. Uh, Some rookies, a guy named Isaiah Zuber out of Mississippi State, Jeff Thomas, who's a rookie out of Miami, and then Matthew Slater, Mohamed Sanu, Mohamed Sanu's decent, Devin Ross, another rookie, Sean Riley, who uh, played at Syracuse, uh, a guy named Gunner, he's got a very difficult to pronounce last name, O-L-S-Z-E-W-S-K-I, Olszewski maybe, from Bemidji State, which is in Minnesota, for those of you guys who don't know, uh, Jacoby Myers, Marquise Lee, Will Hastings, Nikhil Harry, who was their rookie draft pick last year, Julian Edelman, the first name that I'm like, okay, 
uh, Demary Bird, Quincy Adeboye Joe. Wow. Okay. Watch some of those names. That being said, the reason why I bought those names because those guys aren't known. If I knew who Quincy was, like I would know his last name. I would know how to pronounce it. I could say uh, TJ Hushmanzada all day long, and that's way more t- difficult to spell than these because he was good, right? And so um, Belichick, at least in the last few years, hasn't made up for that lack of talent with the guys who he's been pulling in, which we talked about with the Brady episode you mentioned. So I just wanted to point that out. The other piece that – uh, we need to consider is the political piece because the reality is Robert Kraft donated to Donald Trump's presidential campaign and everything that Donald Trump has put out there. I don't think that he's an advocate for Colin Kaepernick and the protests that he was taking kneeling during the national anthem in order to bring attention to police brutality and racial inequity in this country. So knowing that there's some camaraderie there between the owner and the president who's spoken so openly against Colin Kaepernick's protest makes me think, okay, New England probably not going to be looking at Kaepernick just for those political reasons. And that's before we get into maybe any of the football stuff. Like, I don't know that it would even be a possibility for them. Yeah, I guess I just I tend to think that, you know, if, if even if the owners are using Goodell as like the face of, you know, their voices, because like I, I gave detention recently because Goodell was speaking and many of them were not. Um, Goodell has said things about they were wrong for uh, being anti the against the protest and anti this and anti that back in 2016. And I, I would hope that Goodell is speaking somewhat on good faith after working with the owners. But I think part of my thing is someone ought to, right? In this post-pandemic or you know concurrent with the pandemic world, um, someone's going to have a quarterback get coronavirus next year. Like someone's going to have a quarterback. You always have quarterbacks get hurt. But I think it's even more paramount right now that the reality is is that guy someone's going to get sick, and so it might not be, you know, New England, but teams are need to be investing. You saw New Orleans do it with Jameis Winston in a backup quarterback that's got a good amount of starts under their belt because there's a real real potential for if we're going to go to isolations here and there and do this then the other and you're sitting for 14 days sitting 14 days could be two or three games based on if you're playing a thursday night a monday night you know what's happening when and that could, that could be a problem well here's the final piece that i'll go to as to why i don't think that new england is going to bring kaepernick in which is as you mentioned Kaepernick is talented enough to at least be a backup quarterback in this league, if not a starter, based on everything that he he was able to put out there when he was starting with San Francisco. I go back to Tim Tebow. When teams looked at Tebow, they made the decision that his talent didn't warrant the attention that he brought with him when he was on your team. And they looked at that as a distraction. And so I would imagine that even in today's political climate, even in today's social climate, even with what Roger Goodell has spoken, even though we we do need to understand that while Roger Goodell spoke and while he may represent owners, we can't say that he's 100% representing every owner, right? So we 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 can get that too. But um, the pieces that come with Kaepernick being on your team in terms of the attention maybe New England will look at that and this is something that Bill Belichick has definitely spoken about like he doesn't want distractions he doesn't want a quarterback who's going to be distracted by anything other than going out there and winning you got to be dedicated and focused and maybe they look at someone like Colin Kaepernick and the distraction that could potentially come to the team and they're like we'll pass on that Um, I think that that's incidentally one of the reasons why Cam Newton hasn't been signed either because Cam keeps saying, I don't want to be a backup. Well, if you don't want to be a backup, I'm not going to bring you in to potentially be a distraction to the team when we already have a starting quarterback who I like. And it's not going to be a real competition between you and the other guy. So I was going to ask then is if, so if New England's not your perfect fit, you gave it a C, right? Um, I think part of the reason I gave it an A- minus is because he is a great quarterback that needs a job, or I guess should have a job because 
if you want to win, you should want to have a great quarterback. Um, are there other franchises you're looking at that maybe the positives would outweigh what you're bringing up? Let me say this. The situation that makes the most sense to bring in Colin Kaepernick and give him a try is actually New England in my mind. So that's where <laughs> that's what I wanted to say. There are some reasons. There are some positives. We look at the quarterback room in New England. It is Jared Stidham. It is Brian Hoyer. And it's two rookies, a guy by the name of Jamar Smith out of Louisiana Tech, and then a guy named Brian LaWork out of Michigan State. Okay, none of that inspires confidence in me. And I saw Jared Stidham play at Auburn. Uh, guys, I don't know what you guys are expecting from him. He must be way better than he was in college. Um, to me, there are some pieces that make me say, give Colin Kaepernick a chance in this situation, and he might show you that he is still of a caliber that he can help your team win. New England, oh, I, I wish that there was a way for me to get inside the head of Bill Belichick because – if I understood the reasons why he didn't sign Cam Newton, then I could football-wise come up with a reason why you don't sign Colin Kaepernick because their playing style and their results on the field actually look fairly similar, even though they do it differently. Like, they both run, but Kaepernick is more of an outside speed threat, and Cam Newton is like a fullback who can also throw at 80 yards. Um, so there's reasons to bring both of those guys in and say, hey, let's give this a shot. The fact that New England hasn't brought in Cam makes me think that there's no way they would ever bring Kaepernick. So then if you just say what other situations, I mean, as long as Kaepernick is willing to be a backup, the perfect situation seems to be a place like Baltimore. John Harbaugh, the brother of Jim Harbaugh, who was Kaepernick's coach in San Francisco, is the head coach there. So you can get a lot of insight into who Colin Kaepernick is as a person. And obviously the offensive style that they run with Lamar Jackson, Colin Kaepernick fits that style, right? So that would make some sense. Well, and I would also think that, you know, uh, in a lot of ways, Lamar Jackson, if you look at like the very insensitive and kind of the undertone and coded language and criticizing Lamar Jackson, um, I think uh, you could have Kaepernick as a great mentor for how to work through the world and be a voice for change in a lot of ways and what it could do with Jackson. I also think that you don't get Jackson in 2019, 2020, if you don't have success from guys like Kaepernick in 2012 and 2013, and you don't get guys like Kaepernick 2012 and 13, if you don't have guys that are more mobile than him, you know, 15, 10 years earlier as well. Like, I think there's a natural trajectory of that kind of thing. So I actually also would agree that I think Baltimore is a great fit. I, I think San Diego, who has expressed interest in bringing him in to work out, is a good fit for Kaepernick or Cam, frankly, um, as well, just because they are in need of a quarterback. You know, there's lots of teams in need of a quarterback. I'd argue Chicago. Is, you know, Mitch Trubisky might be who some people a year or 18 months ago thought was a future, but he looks less and less like it as we get away from that <laughs> double dink, dunk, whatever you want to call it game. I, I, I don't mean to badmouth a bunch of NFL franchises. Um, no, it's but, okay. Badmouth them. It's fine. <laughs> like... Is Jacksonville really going to roll out the Gardner Minshew show again? Like, you know, What's wrong like, with what Gardner Minshew? He's just trying to exist. He's like, <laughs> I actually, oh, but... I like Gardner Minshew. I think that he did some good work with Jacksonville last year. I don't know that bringing in a, if you got a young quarterback like that, I don't know that bringing in competition makes a lot of sense. I do think that with a guy like Mitch Trubisky who's had some time, like that makes some sense. I, Kaepernick's at least an average starting quarterback to me. Like, if you have below average quarterback play, you ought to be handing him your business card. I don't see what the issue here is. And, I mean, a part of the consideration has to be uh, this list of names, frankly. Drew Stanton, Josh McCown, Trevor Simeon, Deshaun Kaiser, Matt Moore, Joe Webb, Blake Bortles, Cody Kessler, Kyle Slaughter, uh, Brandon Allen, Matt Sim. These are the free agents? Are you kidding me? Like, okay, so. People better be signing Cam Newton and Colin Kaepernick like yesterday, because otherwise you're going right. to end up with Josh Woodrum. Good luck, guys. Well, <laughs> Mr. Ainsworth, as we hard charge toward Father's Day, a fun father-son sports duo thesis statement, Ken Griffey Sr. and Jr. are the best father-son duo in the history of sports. How would you grade that thesis statement? So I'm going to give it a B plus, not because I don't think that the Griffies are great. Um, obviously, Ken Griffey Jr. greatness is more the one that I got to watch a little bit of. Um, but I, I, I'd i like to give it a B plus because of specificity and things like that. What are you thinking? 
I think that I've given every thesis statement in this episode a C. If I'm correct, and I feel like I want to give this one a C as well. Uh, again, I acknowledge their greatness, and there's a lot of great father-son duos. Incidentally, we need to – should we adjust this thesis? Like, should we be thinking just father uh, – father whatever duos? Because I'm wondering, like, is there a sports duo father-daughter that we're not thinking about? Let's let's chew on that, and then we'll talk about it during the segment. <laughs> Okay, so Mr. Ainsworth, you were pretty high on the Griffies, a B-plus in terms of being the best father-son duo of all time. Talk to me about that. What is it about the Griffies that stand out for you? Well, Paul, I want to also pick up where we left off, though, too. I want to make sure we mention that we do acknowledge that Tamika Catchings and her father played uh, both played professional basketball. Um Tennis player Sloan Stevens and her father. Her father was a professional football player. But perhaps my favorite, I mean, and we have Dr. J and Alexander Stevenson we both talked about a second ago, uh, off pod. Perhaps my favorite father-daughter combo, though, like favorite father-daughter sports combo is <laughs> offensive lineman Bubba Paris and his daughters Courtney and Ashley Paris. Courtney, you actually played in the WNBA for a long time. But do you remember the Paris twins when they were at uh, OU? Uh, I do remember them when they were at OU. I remember Courtney yes. Powers being dominant, too. Both very dominant post players. I mean, tall, big, strong. Um, what I loved about the Paris sisters and the fact that their daughter, that their daughters of an NFL offensive lineman is that they played basketball just like a dominant offensive <laughs> lineman would play basketball. Absolutely. So, like sweet feet and use their body to muscle people out. Like, uh, I mean, just... Again, and, dominant players. So anyway, I, I don't want to make act like we we didn't do any research there. No, absolutely. Um, Who runs the world? Girls. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, as far as the thesis goes, I gave it a B plus because obviously there are a number of father son duos we're going to get to here in a second. Um, the Griffies win both on being junior senior, which I was giving probably unnecessary unnecessary level of credence <laughs> to, um, but that they're a junior senior and that King Griffey Jr. really like is the like nostalgic baseball player for like my entire generation of sports fan. Like I, as a millennial and I'll speak to the millennials, like everyone remembers watching Griffey go up to the home run derby with his hat backwards. And I didn't even watch a whole lot of baseball as a little kid. Right. Like I, I but I remember watching that happen. Um, I gave it a B plus though, cause the, it just said all sports. And so how do you measure baseball impact versus basketball, football, people that played multiple sports. What were your problems with the thesis? You gave it a C. So it's the same, basically, in that I wanted to go to these different sports, and I'm like, who's made the greatest impact? So, like, I I did my research via ESPN.com, and so ESPN has this article where they list all these different father-son duos, and some of them I'm pretty familiar with, but some of them I'm like, oh, I, I had to be reminded. Like, I forgot that Deion Sanders had two kids that were these high-level athletic recruits like I remember we actually coached against uh one of his boys when he was in uh high school in Texas I believe he was yeah. a quarterback and now he's got another son who's going through the process and I mean even in baseball if you look at a guy like Barry Bonds along with Bobby Bonds his dad I mean those were solid I the the Alomar family <laughs> because there were so many because Sandy Alomar was the first, right. and then, of course, Sidney Alomar Jr. was incredible, Roberto Alomar, and then you start going to basketball, and then you get to the Curry family, and you get to Adele and uh, Steph, and Seth is in the league doing his thing as well. So, like, I started going across sports, and then you start going to, like, things like hockey. We are talking about the Hulls off pod. Like, Bobby and Brett Hull, both Hall of Fame players, you go to NASCAR, you got the Earnhardts. Like this, it just it starts to run the gamut. In baseball, you didn't mention the other one that gave weight again. If I'm giving way too much credence to junior senior, you didn't mention the Ripkins in baseball. You had Cal Ripken senior. <laughs> That's a and big Cal family Ripken too, junior, right? Well, I, and um, I mean, and uh, um, now I'm forgetting, but Billy Ripkin as well, also. Right. Well, and so I I have questions about the thesis too. Like, what do you think about like so Del Curry and Steph Curry, and if you want to include Seth Curry, right, as this father-son duo. Steph Curry is obviously a Hall of Fame player. He's the best shooter to ever play basketball. And his father, Dell, was just kind of a sixth man, right? He, like an important sixth man that played a long time, but a sixth man in a, in a 
period when like every team kind of had that like six two six three guy that came in and just caught and shoot. That was basically all he did, right? Do you think that Steph elevates the pairing, or does it need to be more balanced? Well, if you look at the Griffies, I think that Ken definitely elevates. I'm just Ken. That was dumb. Ken Griffey <laughs> Jr. <laughs> Jr. elevates the pairing. Um, and so I think that Steph Curry probably elevates the pairing in the same way. But if you were to say You're all right. the sports, who would be well, who you pick? I want to start off. I give it a B plus. I think it certainly is the best in baseball. Um, the one I thought you were about to bring up, based on where the conversation was going, is going to be Joe Jellybean and Kobe Bean Bryant. Um but I actually don't even know if I have them the highest. Um, but I, w- I would say that Joe Jellybean Bryant and Kobe Bryant certainly bring up the question of how much can the sun elevate the pairing because Joe's career in the NBA versus his international career um, was not super long. But Kobe is going into the Hall of Fame this summer at, on the first time he's on the ballot. And I don't need to go through all the accolades Kobe Bryant has as far as a basketball player, but he certainly is a guy that you cannot tell the story of that 20-year period of basketball without mentioning. He's super important to the NBA, right? Um, and so I, I wonder if that was where you were about to go with your top pair. No, my top, and it's not a pairing, my top family in Reason? sports. I know we're going. Absolutely. It's got to be the Mannings, right? It's got to be right. Archie, Peyton, Eli. I think that this this is an issue that Archie Manning's not in the pro football Uh, Hall of Fame and he should be because people look at him and they're like oh he played for New Orleans and New Orleans was awful but he was the best thing going like he was an incredible player and doesn't get the credit Peyton is clearly going to be a Hall of Famer I think Eli's also clearly going to be a Hall of Famer although that might be a little bit more questionable I guess Uh, but with that family that's the royal family of football so to me that if you said the Manning family I would say a like, that is the uh, family of professional sports. That being said, like, the Earnhardts with Dale and Dale Jr., like, I'm not a big NASCAR guy, but I There's... know who Dale Earnhardt is, and I know who Dale Earnhardt Jr. is, so they might be up there as well. Like, I mean, that feels arguable. There's something that comes with the access of having your uh, dad be a professional athlete. There's also something that comes with the genes, obviously. These guys inherit as right. well. Because, like, I don't think it's any coincidence that – uh, Howie Long, Chris Long, Kyle Long are all interior players, like offensive and defensive linemen, right? Or if you look at uh, the Matthews uh, family, Clay right? Because yeah. I mean, so you start looking at some of these folks. It's like they even play the same position, and so obviously with Archie Payton and Eli, um, I'm even experiencing that now. I have a former NFL player who's a head coach of the football team that uh, I coach on in high school, and his son is obviously our quarterback, right? And so uh, there's right. something that comes with the genes of having that professional athlete dad. And then I do think that you obviously can get more access. But it is curious as to how many of these guys played similar positions. So it's not just that you get access. You also get access to even that position, right? Like uh, Del Curry's kid isn't a center, right? Like Del Curry's kid is right. a shooting guard, just like he was. Both of his kids, right? And so the one uh, ex- exception, I guess, is kind of Michael and Clay because Michael Thompson, I kind of remember him being more power forward type. And then Clay, obviously, is a tall kid, but is a two guard. Right. And I, I think that the truth is, though, if you go back and if Clay were born 40 years earlier, he probably at six foot seven without a really great ball handle does play more of a traditional forward just because the game was different. That that may be like a, a difference in generations. Before we keep moving past, you got to mention Cecil and Prince Fielder, right? That's a big pairing. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, the, ba- the Barry family, it feels like at one point in the NBA, there was, it felt like there was a white kid named Barry on every NBA team. Oh, and yeah, it, absolutely. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't actually the case, and they weren't like all-stars, but it, they, they just bounced from team to team and seemed to always be in the league. Well, yeah, Brett um, Barry won that slam dunk contest. I re- I'll never forget Slam Magazine put Brent Barry <laughs> on the cover and the um, – the headline was Ghostface Killer. And I was like, oh, my God, that is the best headline ever for a slam dunk <laughs> champion. <laughs> um, two, I have two parents. Oh, we didn't mention the, the Alou family either, Felipe and Moises. Oh, absolutely. Uh, as I'm going through my list of research here. Um, I have two families of people that where the father played one professional sport and the son played a different that I think are worth mentioning. Do you think you can guess either? Well, I know one of them it should be uh, Grant and Calvin Hill. Uh, so, yeah, Calvin played in the NFL. Grant obviously played in 
the NBA. The other one that I'm hoping you have, but I don't know if you do, because one of these sports I know you're familiar with, but one of them I know that you don't watch as often, but Ken Norton Jr. and Sr., Ken Norton Jr. was this incredible linebacker who won Super Bowls with the Dallas Cowboys, obviously a team that you're very familiar with. Um, <laughs> as But his uh, but Ken Norton Sr., but. his dad, was also an incredible boxer. And my dad used to tell me all the time, the guy who gave Muhammad Ali the most trouble was Ken Norton was Sr., who was incredible. Um, I actually remember hearing that, for whatever reason, in the early part of this pandemic, ESPN ran a bunch of Ali fights. And they talked about that after the one of the Norton Ali fights. Um, so I, I did have Calvin Hill and Grant Hill down. It's worth pointing out that Calvin Hill made four Pro Bowls, and Grant Hill obviously was one of those careers that, like, had he never been injured, could have been one of the greatest of all time. Instead, he's probably just a parent, you know, potential periphery Hall of Fame guy. Um, certainly, because the basketball Hall of Fame includes his stuff from Duke, he's got a better shot. Um, but but Grant Hill is a tremendous basketball player as well. I was actually going to go with a little bit, and I want to hear your opinions on this, Yannick and Joachim Noah. So, Noah is a brute force, no finesse, weird-looking jump shot, but was like third <laughs> in MVP voting for the Chicago Bulls one year uh, as a center that can really pass the ball. He understood the game. He was smart. He was super aggressive. Two national like, championships with Florida, Florida. as well. Um, the dirty ponytail was like the embodiment of Joachim Noah. But people forget that his father was an incredible tennis player. Um, discovered by Arthur Ashe, um, you know, one of the, you know, if you think about like the story of tennis, he's not, there hadn't been a whole lot of black male tennis players. He ends up becoming, he wins a French Open in 83. Uh, he is at, uh, the captain of France's National uh, Davis Cup and uh, Olympic and Fed, and Fed Cup teams. Um, Yannick Noah has a pretty storied tennis career if you dive into it. Not that I knew a lot about it before researching. I just knew he played tennis and he won. Some, he knew he won one of the Grand Slams, not the French Open. But um, that's a pretty impressive pairing to me as well because I always think of Joachim Noah as a pretty important player in the 2000s. Absolutely. I, I'm remembering now because you just reminded me that um, Popeye Jones, do you remember that name from the NBA? I do. His son Seth also plays... Uh, but he plays uh, in the NHL. He plays ho professional hockey. And so, oh, like, you were talking about Yannick Noah and Joe Kim and how, you know, you probably wouldn't think tennis to basketball, except when you realize that Yannick Noah married a supermodel who's, like, 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, so that's where Joe Kim gets his height from. So then it makes a little <laughs> bit more sense because Yannick Noah is not the tallest guy in the world. But no, yeah, he's it a just tennis player. So just made me think of um, uh, Popeye Jones. And I remember when his son was kind of coming through uh, the ranks and he was a highly thought of prospect. He ended up being uh, drafted in uh, 2016, I believe. And I think he was, no, he's drafted in 2013 and he was the fourth pick overall. So um, he obviously was very highly thought of and is a very good uh, player in the NHL now. Um, there's a list here as well on ESPN of like of uh, the next generation. So it's like players who we think of in this generation, their sons who kind of haven't come along yet. So like LeBron James and Bronny, like kind of thinking in that vein, but um, like Shaq right. and Sharif and uh, Randy Moss's son got drafted. Well, signed this year, Thaddeus Moss signed. And right. so now he's going to be in the NFL. Michael Irving's son, I believe plays at the university of Miami. Um, a name that I uh, that you'll remember from baseball, Pudge Rodriguez, and then his son Derek is right. a pitcher. So there's just some names that are coming along as well that uh, could be interesting when we have this conversation again, I don't know, in 10 years or so. <laughs> Greg Anthony and <laughs> well, Cole Anthony. Cole Anthony is going to be a top five draft pick this year. But anyway, whenever Sharif can get healthy, he certainly, when he was a high school player, had the frame, agility, explosiveness. He played in the Drew League in the summers in Los Angeles against grown men and was holding his own. I mean, Sharif is certainly pushing the limit if he can get the list soon. Um, so anyway, it'll be interesting. This is a conversation we have every Father's Day, every couple of years about who's going to be in the next set of pairings. So. Absolutely. We can't wait to see Parker Ainsworth Jr. on that list. <laughs> right. Parker, Ain Parker Ainsworth, D3 athlete. Parker Ainsworth Jr., all everything. <laughs> <laughs> Friends, that is another episode of FN Sports. Happy Father's Day to all the dads that are out there. Make sure that you spend wonderful time with your families. And, of course, 
If your dad's out there, make sure that you wish him a happy Father's Day because we always give mothers the love on Mother's Day. Give dads a little bit of love on Father's Day as well. <laughs> uh, Mr. Ainsworth, would you like to hit folks with your socials? Sure. If you can find me on Twitter and talk to me about how you must love Kyrie Irving or about how you really don't like Kaepernick, Feel free to tweet me and we can argue You're going to get so many Kaepernick stuff. You don't really want that smoke. Uh, fi find me on Twitter at Painsworth512. That's at P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H 512, all one word, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I also use the, uh, the show's Twitter pretty regularly. You can find my tweets at F-N-Sports2, F-I-N-S-P-O-R-T-S-2. Uh, all one word, and I'll dash with PA. Mr. Cummings will use dash CC you so you can tell which one of us you're talking to. You can also find us on the podcast Instagram at F underscore N underscore sports. My social media, you can find me Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. It's all at Shaka Cummings, at C-H-A-K-A-C-U-M-M-I-N-G-S. Please reach out to us. We love to take attendance and know that you guys are there so thank you we appreciate it uh make sure you go out like subscribe share do all the wonderful stuff that helps out this podcast thank you for listening happy juneteenth to everyone and please remember when it comes to sports Don't flunk with it. later guys Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 